In Charles Swindoll's book, Killing Giants, Pulling Thorns, he tells about an epitaph um, etched on a gray slate tombstone in an English country churchyard. And that, that epitaph reads, Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> um, certainly we know of people, we can think of people, um, when we hear that poem, um, and we don't uh, usually think of ourselves when you hear a poem like that. Um, but, you know, the average person speaks about 18,000 words um, a day, and they tell us that that is about the equivalent of a 54-page book. Um, some people are significantly higher in their um, word use in a given day, and some people are significantly lower. I want to suggest to you that because men like more pictures in their books, that's why they speak less words. Um, but just take that with a grain of salt, if you'd like. Um, James has a lot to say about the tongue and how we use it. And as we go through this series uh, in James, um, if James was writing today, he probably would include some things that we don't have in our text today, he probably would be broader to include text and email and social media. So often all kinds of things are said and written uh, or written that would never, uh, we would never say or should never say to someone's face. There was a time uh, years ago when we were advised in wisdom that if we were angry, uh, that we should write a letter. And, of course, writing that letter would take some time and vent off some energy and uh, some time and some effort and all of that. And then you were supposed to throw it away when you got all done with that and not send it. President Abraham Lincoln did that a lot. He had generals. And if you read, read history, and especially read his history, he had some notorious generals who just did not do what he asked them to do. And, and he was often sorely disappointed in his generals. And many times he would pull out a paper and just write a scathing letter to his general. And then he'd squash it up and tear it up and put it in the garbage and never send uh, the letter off. But in our day, um, you and I can instantly send something out on social media or a text uh, with no more thought an effort than just letting something slip out of our mouth. So that's something that we should keep in mind as we look at this text from James. Now, so far, James has talked to us, he's, he's talking about what does a mature Christian look like. So three weeks ago, we looked at James chapter 1. And James says that a mature Christian is patient in trouble. That's the theme of chapter 1. Then two weeks ago, we looked at James chapter 2, and James says that a mature Christian is one who practices truth. He not only hears, but he does what the Word says. So he practices truth. Last week, Dr. Piper was here, and this week, as we look at James chapter 3, what he wants to say to us is that a mature Christian has power over the tongue. Now, James uses six word pictures um, of the tongue. 
He says the tongue is like a bit uh, for a horse, a rudder on a ship, a fire, a poisonous animal, a fountain, and a fig tree. And as he uses those word pictures, James teaches us that the, word, the, that the tongue has power to direct our lives, it has power to destroy our lives, it has power to delight. But before we get there, James says some introductory things about the tongue. James chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So James begins with this warning to us. He says that because there is so much power in the tongue, those who teach need to be more careful not to be in a hurry to teach. Because along with the honor of teaching comes a great deal of responsibility and accountability. Teachers and preachers need to be prepared, and that means having a basic understanding of all of God's words so that we don't take one text and misstate the meaning of that text that, and make it contradictory to something else in God's word. Um, and so that means that there's a continual humble attitude towards God's word and, and a desire to always learn from it and also a genuine love for the people with whom we share God's word. One of the other things he says there is that those who teach will be judged more strictly than others. So first of all, that tells us some things about God. God does not judge us all equally. He judges some of us differently from others. And if you use your mouth in your profession like I do, um, you're going to be judged more strictly. Thirdly, James tells us in this little passage that every one of us is a sinner in need of a Savior. Because he says, if by no other means, if you haven't gotten into sin any other way, for sure your tongue has led you there at some point. <laughs> so he just says, all of us are sinners. Because all of us have had our tongues get us into trouble at some point. A person who controls their tongue is disciplined enough to control anything else in life. Therefore, that person is mature, a mature Christian. Lastly, he says, the person who controls the tongue is able to keep his whole body in check. In other words, our words, what we say with our mouth, usually leads us into actions and deeds. There's a connection between the two. We end up acting out or acting up in the same spirit with which we use our words. Because our words and our deeds both come from the same place. They come from our heart. So the first point that James makes today is that the tongue has a power to direct or to steer. James chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. 
Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. The horse's bit and the ship's rudder are both very small. And yet that bit, stuck in between their teeth, can control a wild horse. Steer a ship, the rudder can steer a ship against strong winds and waves. Likewise, our tongue is really small, about three inches long. But it has great influence. The bit and the rudder must be under the control of a very strong and wise hand. And so every one of us, uh, we need the help of God's Holy Spirit in this area of controlling that tongue so that it steers us and directs us in the right way. Ten years ago, almost ten years ago, it was in April, um, 2008, when Jennifer McGorman came out to do a chapel here at the academy one day when uh, Sheldon was sick or something or other, and uh, she used this text, and she said, our tongues are our principal steering mechanism. (laughs) They steer our lives. Our lives will end up following the direction of our tongues. Now, some of you know um, what a spooked or runaway or out-of-control horse can do. Um, But a wise trainer can do an awful lot with a wild horse uh, to bring that horse under control with a bit and bring that horse to disciplined obedience. Um, I remember Caleb... In, in his love for horses, and I, I'd watch him, and, and I'd think he was crazy, but he knew what he was doing, because um, I didn't know anything about horses at all. But he'd be out there, you know, he'd tie a Walmart bag, Walmart bags to a stick, and he'd be out there running around beside his horses, banging, making noise, trying to spook the horse. And he was actually trying to get the horse so he wasn't so easily spooked. And he'd spend hours out there just making noise that would spook that horse and trying to teach the horse to calm down and all of that. And that same discipline that Caleb used on his horses, we need to use on our tongues. Some of you are not horse people, but maybe you're boat people. And you know what a boat that loses its rudder can do. I mean, it's basically useless. It's not going to go anywhere you want it to go. Proverbs 18 and verse 1 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So we can completely change the direction of of a life with our tongues, just like we can spook a horse or tame a horse. And we need to be careful with that. James says that with our words, we can steer a ship wherever the pilot wants them to go. Well, that's a lot of control. When you think about, you know, one pilot steering a ship and a little bit, a little bit of a rudder, completely changing the course of that ship. Um, so we need to be careful that we don't use our words on other people to manipulate them and control them uh, into doing what we want them to do. But we need to shape our words to help them do what Christ wants them to do because he is the ultimate Lord and pilot of our souls. So the first thing that James says in this passage is that you and I need to use our tongues to direct our lives in a a right way. Secondly, he warns us that our tongues have a power to destroy. 
verses 5 through 8. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures have been, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So just as the tongue has power to direct or steer, it also has power to destroy. And James uses fire, and he uses poisonous animals to make his point. Last summer, we listened um, to all the news reports about the fires in California and the fires in Montana. And last summer alone, the fires in Montana cost the state of Montana almost just under $400 million. Plus, another $240 million in lost tourism industry. And it burned some 1.2 million acres in Montana. When we went up to Canada last summer, we came back through some of that. We were heading back down to the ranch and drove through places where there were fires on all sides and smoke everywhere and all of that. But you just stop and think about that. Montana had in its budget for last year $35 million for fire suppression. And they spent $640 million. Fire. Can do a lot of damage and a lot of destruction. We grew up singing around campfires, church campfires and youth group and that kind of thing at camps. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. We probably don't even know that song today. Um, but that was a reference to getting spiritual fire going in our lives and among our friends. But it's also true that it only takes a spark to get a forest fire going. They start small and they grow. They create heat and they destroy quickly. And the more fuel you give it, the more dry needles and dry grass and wind for oxygen, the more fuel you give it, the faster it grows and the faster it spreads and the faster it gets out of control. The tongue is like that. It can get out of control easily. It is the most dangerous of muscles in the human body. It's a dangerous muscle and we need to discipline it and control it. The tongue, he uses the illustration here, is like um, wild animal or a poisonous animal. He says the tongue is like a hungry lion or a poisonous snake. Now, when you go back in church history to the time of Nero, um, one form of the persecution was that they would take Christians um, if they wouldn't recant their faith and they would throw them in to the arena and they would just let loose the wild, hungry lions and people would just come and flock there just to watch these lions eat Christians. James Biswell, who pastors at Medicine Rocks, Montana, um, was telling me, and he um, 
That's pretty desolate country out there, and, and there's a, up on top of the hills a, a cemetery. And he was telling me this week at, at retreat um, that he was doing a funeral um, and a graveside service, and all of a sudden he looked over, and there was a huge rattler over there, um, right close to where all the people were. And so he had to get people cleared out and all of that um, to get away from this rattler. But, you know, that snake could have struck quickly, and it could have done a great deal of damage right there out there in that cemetery. Well, you can tame animals, and you can get results doing that. A tamed horse can do a lot of good work. Um, a tamed fire can result in great power. Our vehicles have brought us here today. There was power from a fire in the engine that kept it moving forward. But James says you can't tame the tongue. You and I can't tame our tongues. That's a God-sized thing. It takes more than discipline to tame the tongue. It takes dependence on God's Holy Spirit and for God to work in our hearts and all of that. And then James talks to us about a power to delight. In the tongue lies the power to direct. In the, power lies the, in the tongue lies the power to destroy. And thirdly, there is the power to delight. James writes, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings, who have been made in the image of God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Priscilla's dad, uh, many years ago when he was still alive, bought a ranch um, in Mud Butte, South Dakota. And uh, he bought that for the sake, excuse me, of having a place to run his cattle when drought had struck the ranch in Montana. And I've been there probably half a dozen times or so. It's rather isolated, and you don't go there by accident. Um, you seldom go there on purpose. Um, but, but, you know, it's, it's one of those ranches um, that I never, ever think of without thinking of one thing. I always think of the water at Mud Butte. It's part of the reason no one lives there. There isn't any good water at Mud Butte, South Dakota. The sulfur content is so high that the water just absolutely reeks. You hold your nose to take a shower. You hold your nose to even flush the toilet. If you turn on the kitchen sink to get water, you immediately want to plug your nose um, because the smell of the dishwater um, just stinks so bad. It's quite the contrast to the water out at the Montana ranch, the home ranch, that is pure good-tasting well water that flows out there and is just wonderful to drink. The two locations are consistent. 
We don't ever stop to think when I'm out there in Montana at the ranch that when I turn on the faucet, somehow or another, sulfur water is going to come up and I'm going to have to plug my nose. It never occurs to me when I'm in Montana. If I go to my butte, I don't ever expect to get good water to come out of the faucet. It never crosses my mind that that might happen. <laughs> you don't get good water one day and bad water the next day. That simply doesn't happen. And James says to us, the tongue should be like that. It should be consistently good. It should be like the well water at the, at the Montana ranch. Always good. Not cursing one moment and blessing the next moment. Imagine for a moment the absolute pure joy that a community experiences the first time they get clean water because World Hope International has drilled a well. Some of those families in those third world countries, the women will spend all day walking two hours sometimes with a big barrel on top of their head to go get water for their family. And that's, that's what they get done. That's their day's duty, just to get enough water. And they get there and they get to the river and it's dirty and murky. And they fill their, you know, container and they walk all the way back home with that heavy water jug on their heads. And all of a sudden they have clean water. Again, because of some of your giving, but they have clean, safe, drinking water. Proverbs 10 and 11 says, The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. That's what our tongues should be like. And we are to remember to use our tongues, which we use mostly in reference to other people. We should remember that when we use our tongues, those people that we are talking to are all of them, all of them made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be defaced right now. They may not be perfect examples, but every single person that you and I talk to have been made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should use our tongues to bring out that likeness instead of discouragement and despair and disillusionment. In April and May of 1997, shortly after I moved here, $5.3 billion of damage was done in the Red River Valley of North Dakota and Minnesota. $5.3 million of damage. Water can be a real blessing or it can be a curse. And we need to make sure that what we speak is a blessing. Lastly, James says that a fig tree cannot produce grapes and a grapevine cannot produce figs. So our tongues produce what is in our hearts. We need to tend to our tongues. But we also need to be reminded that our tongues only speak what comes out of our hearts. So we need to tend to the root of our tongues and the root of our deeds, we need to tend to our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, 
For everything you do flows from it. A mouth problem is a heart problem. So in conclusion, James in other passages says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Don't slander. Slander tears down people, many of whom are already torn down. And we usually do it just for the sake of trying to build ourselves up. We need to be reminded that just like you can't put toothpaste back in a toothpaste tube, we often can't take our words back. So we need to use our tongues to encourage, to inspire, and to uplift.